This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Ariana Sarfarazi, and we cover a little bit of everything from creative energy to law, kindness, saying less, community, and gratitude, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Ariana Sarfarazi. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Ariana Sarfarazi. Ariana, thank you for joining me today. It is my pleasure, Clayton Howe. I have a lot of questions for you. Okay. I want to talk about entertainment law. I want to talk about what's happening in this industry and and the evolution of it and how we can potentially change it a little bit and so much more. Before we get to any of that, though, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Oh, man. Um, so I was just a kid with a big personality as a young child whose parents, I think my mom in particular, because my mom was a musician and she had just had this incredible love of the arts and my dad as well, but my mom more so, I think, overall, just trying to find a space for me to be expressive, for me to be um engaged entertained uh, challenged um i think when you're a, a smart young female child particularly there's a sense of like where can she find confidence where can she find her sense of self at least for for my mom um and so i was put in theater classes very young so as a theater kid grew up in the halls of our community theater uh you know eventually went to performing arts high school I knew I loved the arts and I knew I needed to be around it because I love creative energy. I think that is the true, I think we're all creators as human beings. I think a lot of us are um, distracted by, you know, just life, paying bills, capitalism, you know, all the real things that we all face daily. But at the end of the day, I think we all just want to create in various forms, whether it's music or writing so I didn't really have a specific dream, to be honest. I think for a hot minute, I thought I wanted to be a performer. That ended about five minutes after. Uh, it, it just, it ended quickly because the reality of, the, the reality of actually throwing myself into this commercial industry was not, I, I didn't like the business side of being a performer. Um, and because it took away, and from what I thought took away from that beautiful creational energy that I love. So I don't have a, a, I don't have a clear answer for you. I just wanted to be surrounded by creative people and creative energy. Um, but it really wasn't until the last couple of years until I turned my 30, where I figured out like, how can I, how can I do this? Um, obviously from a very different vantage point at that point. Did that answer your question? I don't know if it did. No, it definitely did. Specifically with being an entertainment lawyer, what was the defining moment when I realized into... so I was the first person in my family to go to law school um I didn't have any context for what law school was or what areas of law I could practice so I sort of was like kind of figuring it out I ended up working in-house um a lot of things happen. I, my mom passed away when I was in law school. There was just a lot of like personal human transition, but I was sitting at my first job. I remember I was listening to podcasts because I'm I'm a I've a bit, I don't have as much time anymore. But I normally love the podcast. 
And I was sitting there doing some mindless legal work, listening to a podcast. And uh, Lauren Graham, the actress, Lauren Graham was, um, no, I was listening to her audio book. That's what it was. I was listening to her audio book and she kept talking about her lawyer. You know, I remember his name was Adam. Lawyer, Adam this, Adam that. And I'm like, what is she talking? Like, she's talking about working so closely with her entertainment lawyer. What is this? Like, I this was three years out of law school. Like, I had no idea what this was prior. Um, and then I just started researching what an entertainment lawyer is and does and what a member of the team the lawyer is for for performer and I and not just performer but any creative any professional and I thought this is it like I have it just everything clicked in that moment of listening to this audiobook and then it, I spent a couple of years researching like okay well now how do I do this with no contacts or context <laughs> it's so interesting though because you grew up in Florida you mm -hmm. studied in California at Berkeley, mm -hmm. and yet I would naturally be like, oh, entertainment law, I'm going over to L.A., mm -hmm. and I'm going to do TV and film. But you went, no, I'm going to New York City to yep. do theater. I was in D.C. Why? actually for my first couple of years out of law school. My first job was in D.C., and, you know, I frequented the, frequented the Kennedy Center and was always very connected to the performing arts. And there was never any question for me where I wanted to be. It was New York. I just needed to figure out, like, I wasn't going to come up to New York and, and live with six roommates in a studio apartment. Like, that just is not what I was ever going to do. So I knew I needed to get up here when I could get up here on my own terms and my own time. Um, but yeah, it was theater, even today, I mean, I, I think much to my colleagues, I think much to my colleagues, um, I think frustration because, you know, at an entertainment firm, they want you to love all aspects of entertainment. I'm just like theater. Give me the theater. I want the theater. I want to do theater. Um, and so that's just, that's where my heart has been this whole time. Growing up, what did your parents teach you about kindness? Oh, um, my yeah, we're switching gears. Thank we you. are. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was, I'm going to try to get through this without tearing up. My mom was this incredible source of grace and humanity and kindness. She was so, she was infamous for her hugs. Like I remember when she died, um, people came up to me all the time and were like, I miss your mom's hugs. And I'm like, trust me, I do too. And she just like, she had patience that she hadn't, my mom was a, doctor was an eye doctor she had patients that she didn't see but for every year every two years she remembered everything from the last conversation with them uh when someone's husband died she sent them flowers like one time she uh one of her employees her son died my mom closed the office for the day let you know had a whole event where the entire staff went to support that other staff member at her son's funeral like I think what she taught me about kindness was how to see people in a way that I don't think a lot of us take the time to do. And it's really obvious when you find people who do. And she just, she, she just was such a, a love, like a source of love. Like she really was very angelic in many ways. And so when you grow up around that, that's, 
that's your your guiding post you know like that's that's what grounds me every single day thinking like wait how would mom handle this situation would she like this would she be okay with me responding this way and i'm am i perfect absolutely not but thinking about her and was she perfect no but thinking about how she would eventually guide me has helped me a lot in i think just being a good human you know as an adult particularly since losing her so seeing people that's like really your app that's so well said because i feel like especially in business it's just on to the next thing, on to the next, what are we working on? What are you doing? You know, there's no actual time. Like there's always time always. to look at someone, to see someone and to be like, hey, you know, are you okay? Like, are you good before we start? Yeah. Like, I don't think I have meet a, people like that. Yeah. I don't think I have a call with a client. Uh, that's my, my client, like somebody that I manage the relationship with where it's not, how are you? What's going on? you know, what's going on in your life right now, because that's how every call should start. Um, but unfortunately, we're not trained that way, you know, in, in law practice and business. Um, time is money, money is time, but I've never ascribed to those things. I think, I think humanity, our, our common humanity is what makes the business worthwhile. And I know that might sound hippie and cheesy to some, but um, I actually look at it the other way. I think if you're not incorporating that in your work then i don't think you're doing good work i don't care what you're doing hmm. <laughs> to be frank and it could be you know and to be frank it's taken as weakness which is quite incorrect mm -hmm. to be kind <laughs> to see someone to ask them how they're doing it's like oh you're weak that's emotional it's like no i have <laughs> Actually, that's way stronger particularly as a woman in a very corporate a very male dominated industry such as law and even theater, even entertainment, mm -hmm. I grapple with that regularly because I'm extremely strong and intelligent. I have no problem saying that, but I'm also extremely sensitive and I'm extremely attuned to other people. And so a lot of my professional journey and personal journey has been, how do I meld both sides? Because one without the other is just imbalanced. Like you, you really need both sides. And I think, I don't think it's weakness. I'll spend my whole life, you know, fighting against that mentality. Yeah. Growing up, what did your parents teach you about work ethic? Uh, work, work ethic was an interesting conversation in my family because, you know, my dad was very much like, just get it done, just do it. <laughs> and so um, but that mentality helped me a lot, you know, in the sense of like, nothing felt hard. I just needed to get it done. So it was very much mindset driven. Like if you couldn't get something done, then you needed to have a better attitude or you needed to kind of check yourself and figure out like, why, what are you standing in your own way about here? Like what's going on with you? My mom was a workaholic. So like she, she would have been, she saw like a hundred plus patients a day herself. She had a solo practice. Um, work was always first, even before, you know, family in some ways. Although I think particularly in her later life that, that shifted. Um, but I think the number one thing my parents taught me was if, if you're going to do it, do it. Like don't do anything half-ass. And if you don't want to do it, then 
respectfully decline the opportunity. But unless you can give of yourself in this opportunity or situation, everything is a responsibility. Nothing is half fast. And I, I still take that to this day. Like I will walk away, as you know, I will walk away from any opportunity that is just not, it will not facilitate my full engagement or my full heart. Um, and I think that courage in walking away is actually something that we should teach kids now. It's okay to say this is not, this is not working for me or this is not a good fit for me instead of trying to constantly fit kids into molds that they just don't belong. Like sometimes things, I'm not meant to do certain things and that's okay. You know, I like to free up the time for, to find the things that I am meant to do. So. Yeah. I've noticed that for myself as well, the older I get, the easier it is to really catch those things. Cause if you're working on something that's right, it flows. It really does flow. And if it's not, it's like, ah, maybe I need a better assignment. You know, maybe I need a better <laughs> setup here. This isn't right. I think you have to have the courage to make space for the things that work. And that goes for people that goes for, you know, I've walked away from a lot of opportunities that I tried for a certain period of time and it never resonated. Like it never flowed. And I'm like, mm -hmm. something's just not for me here. And I've gotten really, really good at not even taking the opportunity anymore before I realized, mm, that's not going to flow. That's not going to work. I don't know. You, you, I think as you get older, you know yourself better and you trust your instincts more, hopefully. Um, mm -hmm. And, but yeah, it's, it's a like, there's no checklist. I remember I had a professor in college. She was like, there's no checklist here. You don't, you don't have to do like all 50 things, like pick and choose what you want. It's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about that all the time. I tell myself like, there's no checklist. Like you don't have to do X, Y, Z to be human. Like you're human otherwise or successful human. You're successful human otherwise. So mm, that's really well said. Do you have any mentors and are there any standout pieces of advice from them? You know, I, I've spent my whole life trying to find the mentor for me. And obviously people can be mentors in different ways. I feel like I, I'm just, I'm constantly evolving as a human and I'll have a mentor for a certain period of time. And then I just don't, I sort of part ways like in this beautiful growth. Um, and I don't keep in touch with people. Like I was just mentioning a college professor, the, the checklist thing. Um, at the time, that was the biggest key of advice I needed because I think when you go to college and go to law school you think you have to do certain things to be regarded as a successful person and she made it clear that I didn't but I haven't talked to her in like a decade um so um I don't I don't actually have that many mentors I'm oh, I'm so thirsty for it though but I do think I think the people who've come in and out of my life in mentor roles have always had the same message of like you don't have to fit in with the, the crowd like it's okay to stand out it's okay to do things yeah. your own way and I almost feel like people come into my life to remind me of that for that period of time and then I embody that and I embrace it for that situation and then I go on and do something else and then have to be reminded of that again and again and again because it's it's not always easy to be someone who's very much a free spirit and who just 
just doesn't do things the way that everyone else does. I don't know if you feel this too, because it was something I discovered like maybe a year ago is that like anyone that I would consider a mentor is like not necessarily contactable. Like they're not reachable. Mm. They're like mentors from afar. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it'd be such a cliche to be like, Oprah is my mentor, but it's like, I've watched a lot of videos of her speaking and I think frequently about the way she views life. And I would consider mm. her a mentor. Although oh, she's I love that. Mentor. I was thinking mentor, you know? like a, a personal, you that's, know. Yeah. Yes. That's what, that's what I meant because yeah. I, I'm always looking for them too. And I'm like, well, I don't know how many I have, you know, so close to the, to the reach, you know, of the phone. Yeah. But there's, yeah, I don't know. I would, it's just something. I will say like mentorship has been something that's been really important to me vis-a-vis younger law students. I mean, I, every other day I get an email or two from a law student who wants to do entertainment and I always take the calls, like even if it's very inconvenient and it will, uh, you know, set my day off by like, and I we have to work late. I think it's so important to, for me, paying it forward in that way is such a vital part of professional responsibility. Maybe because I don't feel like I've uh, fully benefited from receiving it. And, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to talk smack about anyone out there who's ever given me advice and i'm saying i i've never had it that's not what i'm saying but i do think that that whole theme about seeing people also translates to seeing folks who are coming behind us and making sure we're we're available to them to help them build their dream like just because i've gone to this point on my own doesn't mean that i want others to younger than i to suffer the ways that i've suffered and so I think actually the lack of personalized mentorship in my life has made me a better mentor to those. And and that's a continuous, um, it's a continuous journey for me. And I, and, a, and an area where I always hold myself accountable um, because I think we have to pay it forward. And so mentorship is a really interesting conversation um, for me. So the question kind of, brought about a lot of thoughts and reactions. <laughs> I'm very much I'm very much in alignment with that though. I there's something about empowering other people, you know, with education to make their own decisions. I think there's something so fulfilling about that. And I do I I find a lot of mentoring from from my own call like my own like my level quote unquote colleagues. Um mm-hmm. It now, which I think is a very beautiful thing, because I think there's a precept perception that like this preconceived notion that mentoring is somebody who's older and wiser and has lived through through it before. But it doesn't have to be like you've had life experience. I haven't and vice versa. And we can just keep sharing and empowering and growing with each other. Um, but I don't think that on 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 an average f- people in my particular industries are thinking about empowering people. I think they're just thinking about advancing their own interests a lot of the time. So, but we can get into that um, now or later, but. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Okay. Staying true to yourself. How have you either, I mean, got, I would say probably gotten better at it. Staying true to yourself when you see, you know, like the thing I said, we were talking about the other day where it's like, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's right. Just because no one's doing it doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. What is that? 
inner dialogue and self-talk for you? I just, I have, I came to this planet with a very strong sense of what I feel is right. Um, Even as a child, I remember one time I was watching some of my old videos and I was like two or three telling my parents like, no, we're not doing it this way. We have to do it this way. And I do think, you know, I don't know if we want to get into the the spirituality of it all, but I, I don't, yes. you know, I very much believe in reincarnation or I, I don't think that this is the only experience of life that we have. And so I do think sometimes children are born with a certain oomph from somewhere else. It's not just their, their uh, learned personalities. And I just have always had that. And so um, I get this really visceral gut reaction to things um and i just go i have to trust it i have to, to go with it and so 99 percent of the time i listen to it um you know there's a time when i don't but mm-hmm. to me staying true to myself is this staying true to, to whatever it is is this energy that empowers me and i just Sometimes it's a really unpopular and really lonely place to be because 99% of people, sometimes I'm in a room and I'm like, literally like, what are we doing? I remember even in law school, I'm sitting there with my classmates of hundreds, some people in a law school class, we're being lectured at about how things are in the legal system. And I'm like, why, why do we have to do it this way? And everyone's like, Ariana, like Berkeley, like contrarian. She's just like, you know, trying to, to to rabble rouse and it's not it's literally why you know why do we do it this way and so i think i think for me it's just it's just that gut instinct and respecting it and acting on it and that's what leads me day to day it's not it's not a conscious Mm. thing it's such an emotion it's such a it's so much deeper than my my thoughts as i'll put it that way I will never forget the day I realized we all stop at a stop sign because someone somewhere decided that was the thing. Isn't that and, crazy? Uh, collectively as a group, as a civilization in at least the United States of America, we decided that we all stop. And if we all stop at the same time, the person to the right goes first or whatever the rule is. <laughs> I thought that was so. And of course, I wouldn't change that because that keeps us alive. There are certain rules for those reasons. But there's so many rules that have nothing to do with staying safe, alive, or treating yourself or others okay. I mean, it, it's that, I know it's so fascinating. I think so much of my growth as a human, and particularly as a woman, particularly as a Middle Eastern woman, in the last decade or two, has been like kind of uh, confronting those rules. Like, wait, what? Like, why? Why do what? Wait, what? Like, why? Why is this the rule? What is this? And. I was very fortunate or or maybe not just fortunate, but um, maybe I was meant to be at an institution like Berkeley where so much of the education, particularly on the social science side, was deconstructing what we're taught. Like I I took a whole class called Controlling Processes that was all about the ways we're controlled as human beings through advertising, through economy, through family, through movies through music i mean it 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 was so liberating it's just so liberating to be like i mean stop at the stop sign <laughs> like because i you, like well, yeah. obviously there's a purpose for that rule but there's not a lot of purpose for a lot of the rules that we're you know we're uh exposed to 
And I think when we wake up and we're like, wait a second, uh huh. what, what? No, I don't have to do it that way. I think that's so liberating. So like, that's the high that I operate on now. Yeah. Yeah. And how many of the people that we love and that love us will unknowingly project those onto you? There was like a social experiment where this guy like put like a, just a black Sharpie X on his forehead and just stood in public and with a friend and how the friend was like, what are you doing? Get up. Why are you doing this? Like uncomfortable. But why are you uncomfortable? Like what's wrong with that? Why? Who's told you that it's there's, weird? Because there's no rule so that they, you should put. Yeah. I mean, in New York, I feel like people would be like, it's okay. Whatever. Like, okay. Midtown on a Tuesday. But, but yeah, in general, it's uncomfortable because we're not used to that rule. Like that's not part yeah. of the rules. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not a rule. Like that's not hurting anyone. It's just being different stand you know just facing the wrong way in an elevator i don't know it's just like how many times that'll make people uncomfortable though yeah get like viscerally uncomfortable but you're not hurting anyone you're just doing something differently yeah fascinates me i think about that a lot because in new york you are exposed to certain things where you're like "Mm, what's going on over there but as long as they're not harming you can scream on the corner if you want as long i mean yeah Maybe that's a bad example because you're you're uh, creating noise disruption or whatever. But yeah, for the most sure. part, like, you know, just let people be like we're not we don't have to be in such an ordered, structured environment. If you look at a lot of nature, yes, there's natural structure to natural order, but there's a lot of free, free movement and free spirit. And um, I feel like humans are way too constricted and we constrict ourselves uh, in the process. So did not think we were going to go down that rabbit hole. No. Um, (laughs) Switching gears slightly. What are some, if any standout lessons on negotiating? Just as a lawyer in general. Yeah. As a lawyer, but maybe how it also affects in general too. I think the number one rule that you learn, and by the way, you don't necessarily learn this in law school unless you're taking a class on negotiating or you're, uh, you know, in a moot court competition or something that's like practice oriented, you have Mm. to anticipate what the other person needs. And so in a way, I feel like learning to anticipate and see or or be able to to figure out what the other side is going to ask for makes you a really good negotiator because there's a natural flow to negotiating as well. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so I, that, that's sort of just like a baseline lesson as a lawyer, but I think what has helped me is the reasonableness of it all. Right. So like if I have my own client who's asking for something that's like well out of line, I'll say, Hey, look, I know we can ask for it, but what's, what are you willing what's your next level? Because, you know, this doesn't really fit within the precedent and I don't think we're going to get it. And I think that Mm. I think being a realist in that way has helped me because then I'm not like hell bent on trying to force a certain outcome that I know inherently is kind of ridiculous to begin with (laughs) to even ask for. I mean, I think, I think you should ask for whatever you want, but I think you need to be a realist as well. Um, And then I also think like there's this perception that lawyers are these, you know, ball buster type personality, bravado, domineering types, which, yes, a lot of them are. But I think a lot of good negotiating just goes back to just being like a pleasant human being 
a reasonable human being, an honest human being, um, and particularly in theater because community is so small, that kind of anything outside of that reasonableness, it's not necessarily going to help you because people are not going to want to deal with you. And so when people are difficult negotiators, they're not, they're not as likely to get business done, honestly. Um, And so I think being a good, being a reasonable human is a very underrated, um, (laughs) a very underrated quality of a good negotiator, I think, but they don't necessarily tell you that in law school. You just sort of have to figure it out um, as you go. Yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right though it's really just about being reasonable <laughs> yeah that's it. and you have to know my number i hate negotiating with lawyers who are not theater who are not in entertainment because they don't know what they're at they don't know what they don't know <laughs> and then i'm like why are you being so unreasonable oh because they're not familiar with theater they don't understand what the norms are this is this is like should be a non issue but you're pressing on something that is you know, you just don't know any better, but it, it just yeah. it makes it so frustrating because they're not reasonable in that way. And so I think you have to kind of, you have to do your homework. Like you have to know what it is that you're asking for. Um, and, you know, again, I just, I think being honest and being reasonable are very underrated, but absolutely necessary qualities to being a good lawyer. Yeah. I mean, this is something we're already touching on a little bit, but I am curious through being a lawyer, how have you gotten better at communicating in general? Well, I've always been quite an expressive human. Um, but actually, it's interesting. I think being a lawyer has taught me to say less in many ways, to to um, uh, become more efficient in the way I communicate, to mm-hmm. not be redundant. In, a, in an email, like I sometimes I write out emails and I'm like, oh, I said that already, but in a different way, mm. but I, I don't need the mm. second sentence. Um, you know, I had a background in kind of creative writing. So when I got to law school, it was like it was it was a transition to learn legal writing because it's like you don't need that. That's descriptive. That's actually doesn't matter. Those details don't matter in this legal conversation. So like learning to pare it down to like what is the issue here? And so I think that has helped me enormously in life too, because even if I'm just giving advice to a friend, it's like, here's this whole universe of thoughts and feelings and words and all this, but really it's pared down to like this one issue. And um, so I just think that legal practice makes you an effective communicator in that way. Of course, life is not always about problem solving. Sometimes you want to have the emotional conversations, but um, I'm really good at like isolating what the problem is. And that's probably because of my profession. <laughs> but that's also incredibly efficient. Yeah. What's the problem? What's the solution? Keep it moving. Yeah. How have you found a balance between letting things happen and making things happen in your life? Oh God, this is, a, this is probably a, an episode or a topic of a whole podcast episode i have been somebody who naturally always thought i because i'm very action oriented as a person like i'm i'm just a doer in many ways so i always thought i had to 
physically do things to to get things done. And the last few years, particularly with respect to my career, have taught me, no, you set your intention about what you want to do and then you let it flow. You let it come to you. So I actually think one of the biggest problems that we have as human beings when we look around and we don't have the things that we want is because we were trying too hard to get them. I think when you let go a little bit, you actually will get everything that you want. And so I'm very much now constantly retraining myself. No, you're not going to force that outcome. You know, even in friendships, relationships, whatever, it's like, is it flowing? Great. If it's not, okay, great. Move on to the next thing. So um, I obviously you have to do certain, you can't just sit on your bed and wait for life to happen to you. You have to do things. But I think the biggest thing I've learned is to detach from the specifics of how something will happen and just let it happen the way it's going to happen. Even the path that I had to becoming an entertainment lawyer was very much just knowing what I wanted and then waiting for the circumstances to kind of like for all those stars to align for me to get to where I wanted to be. Um, So I very much try to apply that to my life now. And it's hard, particularly in producing, you feel like you have to like do things, but I think you, I don't think it's, I don't think we have that much power as humans. I I think we, we have to have a lot more faith than we do as humans. (laughs) Was there a defining moment for you with that? That's a hell of a talent to let, and I'd call it a talent where you learn to let go and just kind of let it happen. Yeah, I actually, without getting into details, like I had been on a journey to be a theater lawyer for a long time, for years. Like I moved to New York in late 2018. Um, I was doing work that was sort of tangential intellectual property work, but it wasn't theater. And I knew in those moments I wanted to do theater. Um, You know, it took me several years to get to a point where it was a real possibility that I was going to be able to work in the theater. Then the pandemic happened. Like this was literally March, 2020. And I'm like, well, I can't control a a freaking like international health emergency crisis. So the pandemic really taught me that you need to just go with the flow because I don't think it was in my five-year plan that I would you know, Broadway would shut down for 18 months and any opportunity that I had in theater would kind of be completely uh, put on hold indefinitely. And I remember at the time people were like, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Like you were finally getting movement. And I was like, no, you know, and I was trying to fight it. And then I just learned to let go. Um, then I just had some other like work experiences that were just not aligned with what like I wanted to do. And last summer, I went to LA. I traveled to LA for a couple, I was there for almost two months. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to be present. I'm going to be here. I'll move to LA if I have to. I'll do film and TV. I don't need to do theater. I'll I'll even give up the dream if it's not meant for me. So just detached from any particular outcome. And then I get a call and it's like, do you want to specialize in theater? So I think part of it is last year and this last year was just a very powerful lesson for me that um that you have to let things happen you can't make things happen yeah that's so true is there because you're talking now i just want to get it on record 
You're talking about from like since September. That I've what? That I've been theater lawyer? Yeah. Yeah, only not even a whole year. Not even a full year. Yeah. I think that's incredible how much has happened since September. And we're talking in August. Well, we're going to be coming up on a year. Well, that's wild. I think part of it is I, I knew from childhood exactly where I wanted, what industry I wanted to be, where I wanted to be. Um, but, you know, for various reasons, life pulled me multiple different directions. So I do think like when you're aligned, things happen very quickly when, when, when it's flowing. Right. But I think a lot of times we have to do the inner work ourselves to figure out what we're doing to prevent our own success. And that's like a whole, that's a whole conversation I, I could have because I've had a history of unknowingly sabotaging my own success in many, in many ways. Um, but yeah, no, I, it, when I go back and I list out like all the things I've experienced in the last year, after 33 years <laughs> of wanting this thing, it's, it's actually truly remarkable. It's, it's crazy. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, yes, that's exactly what, that's exactly what it is. Is there a particular project since September even, or, you know, larger than that, the whole, in all of being a lawyer, is there a particular project that has taught you the most about yourself? Um, you know, I think, I think it's actually the newest thing in my life now, which is being the executive director of North Theater. I think I always knew that I was capable of leadership in that way. Um, but hmm. I think my hesitance in going that route was very much rooted in a, a fear of being seen a fear of because hmm. when you're a leader you're seen it's uncomfortable it can be uncomfortable in a way and so learning to embrace this incredible opportunity taught me how to be comfortable with being seen in that way and I never thought I never thought I had that issue like I've always been top of my class like I've nothing has ever held me back from like academic success or anything but hmm. I do think that allowing myself to just embody the leader that I know I can be um, and through this whole, it's not really a project, but through this new experience has taught me so much about how much of myself I was withholding from the world, which I think the most beautiful stories, particularly in entertainment, are those people who are just like, you know what, here I am, here, here I am on a silver platter take it or leave it. This is what I have. This is who I am. This is what I have to offer the world. And just doing that so unapologetically. And so I'm I'm still in the process of like learning how to do that. Um, I have so much respect for people who have been able to do that. Did that answer your question? I don't know if it did. It did. It did. No. And I'm glad we're talking about Noor as well. Um, be because it's kind of almost like a culmination of staying true to yourself and now people are going to look, have to, just by the structure of what it is, yeah. <laughs> being the executive director, they're going to look to you as a director to direct. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to be true to yourself. Um, you don't have to, but it's very helpful to be. And I think that's, that's, it inspires. So I think that's really powerful.
How has your, and I think your taste has always been very evolved in this department, but I'm curious how your taste has evolved in projects and maybe even in people, but we could start with the projects. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's not that I think that like, uh, escapist art doesn't have a place in the commercial world. It certainly does. Um, mm. But I think as I've grown truer and truer to myself and embodied my own journey, the more I want to engage with those deep lessons that I've learned over time and you know, certainly losing a parent young and like I've lived some serious life. So I want to see art that um, challenges or like that, that evokes like that kind of depth of feeling and thought and i and you know parody funny haha shows are great sometimes you do just need to laugh but i want art that like stays with me that helps me continue that i continue to engage with long outside of the theater um and i think as i've grown more and more into my own skin i have sort of less and less tolerance for escapism i think i want just real i want something that's real um and that definitely translates to to entertainment um which is a very interesting thing because i think there's different schools of entertainment i think some people think parody and parody can actually be incredibly intellectually intellectual and deep by the way i'm not i'm not like dissing parody but just generally escapist work that just doesn't do and like it doesn't leave you leave its mark on you in any way why are we spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on something that doesn't say anything that doesn't trigger anything that doesn't touch you in any way that doesn't make you feel or think like i just don't um i just don't have much interest in that anymore and i think the same goes for people i think that there's like I'm not a fluff, I'm not a fluffy gal. Um, and I think when you meet someone who I personally feel is fluffy, that means they've that often means they've not met themselves as deeply as I've met myself. Um, and so it just doesn't resonate. Like we're on different, there's nothing wrong with them or wrong with me. We're just like on different planes and I can't relate to those people anymore. <sighs> this is there's a lot of there's a lot of sound bites in this conversation. <laughs> meeting <laughs> meeting oneself deeply is important. That's important. I um I only have a few more questions and we're making really great time. Um are there any changes maybe through the pandemic to now that you've made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity in your life? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've learned, and, and part of it is through, you know, I, I can't really speak on this journey without acknowledge, acknowledging like the therapy that I that I do weekly and the self-work and the journaling and like all of that really important reflective work that I think every human being needs to do. Um, but I think through all of that, I have learned to just give people more grace than I ever did before. Um, and if someone upsets me, sometimes like our first reaction as people is like oh this person is like intentionally being annoying or they're intentionally trying to screw me or they're like majority of the time people are not intentionally doing anything um you know a lot of times people are not that self-aware so i think <laughs> i think zooming out and uh 
being more observational in social situations than feeling personally part of the storyline has has enormously helped me as a human i don't it's not that i don't react to things i do but um because i will always have that fiery kind of part of my personality but just much more observational um and and much less judgmental of people like i get it you know like i get that the people are struggling in ways that we don't talk about and so if if somebody needs to cancel a call or if somebody is cancels a date like a date or something i'm just like you know what it's fine i'm not that worried about it now if it becomes a pattern where it just becomes a situation where it's like you know what this person's wasting my time or this their behavior is detrimental to me in some way even then i'm like you know what maybe this person is not for me in this life and that's fine but i don't wish ill on them like i don't go to bed mad about anything or anyone um even if i ultimately don't really vibe with something or someone and i think that that I don't know. It's it's almost like a, it's an evolution in in some way. I think a lot of us get so wrapped up in our egos and the nitty gritty of, you know, what people say or do or don't do. And it's like, I don't have time for any of that stuff. I don't just don't get lost in the noise anymore. And I did before. So it is possible to grow out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's just not worth it. No. Like life, it's a life's too short kind of thing. It just doesn't doesn't actually do anything to hold the grudge it is what it is yeah take the loss and the learning and move people are what they are i think also part of this is yeah one of the things i learned in therapy is like you have to accept people for who they are and also for where they are and a lot of times people in your life are not going to be where you would like them to be and but you accept where they are and then you decide is this something that i want in my life at this moment or is this do i feel like i've grown in a way that you know we should part ways or you know wish them well on their journey but it's just not ultimately like aligned with mine anymore um mm-hmm. and so I, I think that's part of that being not so judgmental anymore i just i like you do you do your thing i'm gonna do my thing and i'm just like not that i'm not that bothered about a lot of people anymore and that used to be like the biggest trigger for me because i used to be like why isn't someone living up to their potential as a human being but now i'm like that's not my problem that's that's someone else's journey yeah do you have any most gifted or favorite books one of the biggest the the number one book that i've ever received and i've received like six or seven times is the alchemist um i love that book so much I don't know why I like that book so much. I think the book just it it captures it's such a simple read but it captures just like the magic that you can experience in life and it's a bit meta and it's just like I I think it's um I love that genre too. I I found a couple of other authors who sort of write similarly and I don't know. Uh that's my number one gifted book. Um mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I'm looking at a huge stack of books on my bookshelf right now. I'm a huge memoir person too. So like if somebody knows that somebody's writing a memoir, particularly someone that I like, a lot of times I'll get like, for example, I love Viola Davis when her memoir came out. 
three different people were like, here's the book or like, here's the audio book, which was really thoughtful. I just think there's so much to learn from other people's journeys. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? Just a word in general? A word, a quote, a thought, a short story about life, about yourself, about work, really in general. Yeah, it can be in general. I think I would just want a reminder on a billboard for all people, travelers to see just how interconnected we all are, all are. Mm. And I don't know what the exact quote is. I'm sure there's beautiful quotes out there that capture that, 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 that essence, but everything you say and do has a ripple effect in the world and in the universe, I think. So uh, in the multiverse, far beyond what we can comprehend. Um, mm. And so I think that's part of, what I think about being a good person too, is just like recognizing how your actions, not to say you're responsible for other people's receiving of your actions, but because we are, are all so interconnected, I just want to put good out into the world and then other people will receive good and feel good and put more good. It's just, it's just this beautiful thing. So when I'm, when I myself am putting negative energy out, cause I'm a human being and I do that sometimes too, I always go back to, do you want to create a negative ripple effect here? So if I'm shitty and then I go to Dwayne Reed and I treat the cashier shitty and then they go home and they treat their, you know, like, is that, is that the impact I want to have on this world? No. So I just think if yeah. we can constantly just remember that, I think I don't know. It grounds me a lot as a human being to think that way. Yeah, it's so we're all going through the same thing. We're going through different things, but we're all going through the same human experience. Yeah. To really understand that intentionally in every conversation you have. I think just leaves leaves all of it better than we found it. Yeah, and I think which, for which me is... I think for me the number one um the number one green flag and red flag. Uh, Come on, flags. <laughs> um, green flag is when people are community oriented and they realize how their actions impact others and they see others and they, they recognize how we are all on this journey together. What is that quote? We're all mm -hmm. just walking each other home. Mm -hmm. Major red flag for me now is when you act solely in service of yourself and that can manifest in a trillion and one different ways but that means that you to me you're not you haven't figured it out yet how interconnected we actually are and you have a lot of growth and you have a lot of work to do as a person and that's just not energy that i care to surround myself with um so yeah these are the like the biggest themes i'm thinking about this is like this is such a great conversation. So thank you, first of all, for taking the time here. But it is so nice to have this broken down over 51 minutes <laughs> of how, how we're, A, how we're all going through the same thing, but B, how you really do not need to be a taker in this world. Like if you just give, you will get what you need without having to constantly think in a 
hungry, thirsty mindset. You can yeah. literally just help everyone else get what they want and you will get what you want. You yeah. can still have success <laughs> and not be solely in service of yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's like, oh my God. And it happens frequently. There's a lot of people who are in service of community and they get what they need. Like you don't need to just be this like owner and this person who's just like, everyone works for me. It's, I wish more people would realize that and not think that this is a competition because it you, really is not. Did you think you're going to have this conversation with a lawyer of all the people on your podcast? No, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, it's like, <laughs> I was going to say, because I am surrounded by a very different energy of what can I get out of this? How much can I make from this? I mean, so much of what lawyers do, and I say this as one, is I don't, it's like, how how freely do I want to speak today? But um, is facilitating greed in many ways. Like, you know, it, it, it just, it, this is how the system is designed. And this is the role that we lawyers often play in it. Um, I have never ascribed to that. That has never resonated with me. Um, and so part of it has been an interesting, it, it's almost like, you know, I think a lot of times you, you go to law school as a very sort of principled, not just law school, but you go into the world as a principled person, but it can corrupt you, right? Cause you're being exposed to a very different thing and you think you have to change yourself to, to play the game. I've never played the game and I've never been cutthroat and put myself out in a way to harm other people and i have found all the success that i've wanted in various ways so i think sometimes what you think is success by being cutthroat and competitive and selfish is that really success like do you feel good at night when you go to bed with whatever the measure of success is do you feel like you feel like you're surrounded by people who actually support you do you feel like you did good in the world that day is life easy for you in the sense of like you know that you're vibing and, and flowing i think a lot of successful people will tell you that um that's not the success that, that, that it isn't what they ever thought it would be and it's not until that they they sort of realized that that they uh found what what would truly made them happy anyway i'm i'm uh proselytizing here but i do think that i i think just being surrounded by this kind of hunger has made me less and less hungry um which is really interesting because you'd think it would be the other way around you would but after talking to you for an hour you would not at all <laughs> think that it would be the other way around this has been such a great conversation uh before we wrap it up is there anything else you want to add here today just in general <laughs> about life anything else anything yeah <laughs> the floor is yours <laughs> well just I, don't, I i gratitude to to people like you clay who you know have these conversations these things are important this is so much you know i hear i came on this podcast today i think we're going to talk about like the specifics of my career i'm sorry but this conversation is so much more important than you know all of that other stuff is really not that important in the grand scheme of things so um Doesn't i think matter at all 
really. No, I think to encourage each other to continue to have conversations like this, like, like this is, this is the good stuff of life. Not, not all this other meaningless stuff that we get, you know, distracted by. So that's my, yeah. that's my closing message. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time and being so willing to dive so deep. Thank you. People of the world, Ariana Sarfarazi. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.